0: Appreciate that. Very good. I've got a picture on my desk at work of, goes all the way back to Nassau, and I'm going to say around 1976 or so, Nelson and Gary are in the picture. Boy, do they look a lot different than they do now. (laughs) Actually, Gary doesn't look a lot different. He just got a little bit of gray hair now. He looks about the same. But uh, anyway, if I can ever remember to bring that in, I'll bring it in someday and let you have a look at that. You'll, you'll enjoy that. Okay. We want to turn to, um, well, you can turn to Luke 11:49, And while you're turning there. I'm going to read a verse, Acts 17, 11, one you're very familiar with. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. I was thinking of this readiness of mind, and it doesn't exactly quite apply the way I'm going to head this morning, but close enough. A readiness of mind, it's an idea of eagerness. We talk about somebody who, um, in a certain situation, you know, they might be a little bit bold, or we would say, boy, they sure were forward, weren't they? Well, that's exactly what this word readiness here means. It means somebody who's forward in their mind, ready to hear the word. Now, that's just the opposite of many in Israel in this day who, upon hearing the word of the kingdom and the message of the gospel, just outright, without even any consideration, just rejected it. Didn't want to hear it. But the Bereans were called noble because they didn't do that. They heard what Paul had to say. And then they went and checked it out. They were measured words. As a matter of fact, you know, it says there that they uh, received the word. Well, today, for us, that would be receiving the scriptures. The New Testament scriptures. The message of the gospel. And when they heard that, they turned right around and searched the scriptures. In other words, they followed that age-old principle for determining the meaning of God's word. And that is, compare scripture with scripture. And Paul, in essence, was preaching scripture. His words were later recorded, penned, and we have them, of course, today in our New Testament. And so they didn't reject Paul's message because they said well that's some new doctrine you're teaching or I've never heard that before well that's something new to me I don't, I don't see how in the world I could believe that rather they went and checked it out to see if it was true he was proclaiming it and presenting it as truth and they checked it out to see well this matter of receiving the word And having a ready mind leads us into another topic here, which we're going to begin here in Luke 11 and verse 49. Where he said, Therefore also said the the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they shall slay and persecute. And I'm looking at this word wisdom. Therefore also said the wisdom of God. Now the scripture declares that God is the source of all wisdom. and wisdom is bound up of course, in a knowledge of God. If you'll turn over to Romans chapter 11, go from Luke 11 over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Another well-known verse here, Paul's summation of all that he has presented here regarding God's dealings with Israel and the church and the grafting in and the cutting out of the branch and so on. And he sums it up by saying, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. And you know, when when you study philosophy, one of the things that you study is the source of ultimate truth or ultimate things. You know, where do we come to an end? What's the final thing, as it were? And of course, from man's perspective they can not ever arrive at final truth it's only when you look at scripture it's only when you look at the absolutes that God has presented and you see what has come from the mouth of God and the mind of God can we rest and settle and say well that's it I don't need to look any farther I'm done this is where I need to stop and I'm going to rest on this Final truth, absolute truth. And that's what Paul's saying here. Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge or the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable. His absolute truth is so deep, so profound, so far reaching that we cannot entirely search it out with the mind of man. But, of course, the mind of man is no match for the mind of God. So there are limitations on what we can know about God. And yet, in what he has revealed to us here in his word, he has revealed everything we need to know about him. Now, with all that in mind, Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to look at quite several passages this morning. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. another verse here talking about the wisdom of God where Paul says uh, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God in other words through the heavenly realm and those who occupy it we might know the manifold wisdom of God now manifold here it's not off of a car, an old car. Manifold means a wide variety. It means variegated. In, if you were to go back to the Old Testament, to Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3 regarding Joseph and his coat of many colors, the Septuagint uses the same word there, manifold, only it's many-colored ...to describe Joseph's coat of colors. This coat that he wore was variegated. It was a multiplicity of colors involving it. And that's what he's saying to us here about the wisdom of God. It has many facets, many aspects to it. And it's very difficult to probe the depths of his knowledge and his wisdom. Now we, the Greek word behind this word wisdom is sophia kind of a popular girl's name today. Or we might talk about the sophomores in high school. You know, theoretically, they should be acquiring a little bit of wisdom by the time they're in their second year of high school. Right, Sarah? Is that about where we're at? Pretty close to that? Yep. Well, I can remember when I was a sophomore, and I thought I had acquired a lot, and I can promise you, On more than one occasion, I heard that well-worn phrase, just because you're 16, what? Doesn't mean you know everything. (laughs) But I thought I knew a lot when I hit 16. I don't know why in the world they ever applied sophomore to the second year of high school. I guess it's because they were on their way. They're on the road to acquiring the wisdom and knowledge necessary for life. Well, Sophia, the wisdom here, this word that's applied to God, is that wisdom which applies to the knowledge of ultimate things, beyond which you can go no farther. And even in classical Greek, the, the the sophists, the philosophers, used to talk about such things like that. And of course, they reveled in it. And to them, that was a you know that was a great thing. I mean, to be a sophist was to be something like a film star, a movie star. You know, you you were the hit of the day if you were a great orator and you had a great way with words. You didn't even quite know what you were saying or maybe how to express it. But if you could put out some flowing words, you know, you were you were one great person. Well, God's wisdom has been revealed to us. And the scripture tells us that his wisdom has been revealed through his son, Jesus, the Christ. And I want us to look at a couple of verses related to that. Look back to Luke, if you would, for a moment. Moment, We'll start there. Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. <coughs> Jesus as a boy, it says there, He um, grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, he wasn't quite a sophomore in high school at this point. If he was, as most figure, around 12 years of age, uh, he was quite a young guy to be called full of wisdom. Look at verse 52, the last verse of that same chapter. And he tells us there, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He increased in wisdom. It's something that he procured. He acquired it. Now, look over to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 54. Of course, Jesus is a grown man now. Into his public ministry. And he says in verse 54. And when he was come unto his own country. He taught them in their synagogue. Insomuch that they were astonished. And said. Whence hath this man this wisdom. And these mighty works. In other words. We know this guy. We know his father. We know his mother. We know his brothers and sisters. We know what little city he came from, little bitty old Nazareth. Where did, you know, he hasn't attended all the well-known rabbinical schools. Where did he get this wisdom? Where did he get this understanding? And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because in his wisdom, He was able to teach and express those things about God that appealed to the heart of a searching man. To those who desire to know him. Now, of course, this is in contrast to those who did the opposite. They rejected him. And they had no interest in what he had to say. Now, Mark chapter 6 and verse 2 states the same thing in essence, and you don't really need to turn there. I'm not, I'm not going to read the verse there. But it's a, it's a restatement of the verse and basically says the same thing. Where did this man get this wisdom? Well, I want us to turn over to now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24 Regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul taught. Concerning the Lord Jesus. He says. But unto them which are called. Both Jews and Greeks. Christ. The power of God. And the wisdom of God. Now. Notice specifically. Who this wisdom and power belongs to. He says. But unto them which are called. You see, there is a certain group, a certain people who have access to, who God will open the mind of to this knowledge of God, this wisdom, this understanding. And we're headed somewhere here with this, as you probably suspect. So, Hang with me just a little bit longer. Look down at verse 30 in the same chapter. Well, really, (coughs) let's not do that just yet. Let's just look at verse 24, verse 25. Notice this, follow the thought, the mind of what Paul's telling us here. He says, because the foolishness of God in verse 25 is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men, For you see your calling, brethren, or you see the calling of you, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, and that's the same word there, wise after the flesh, not many mighty and not many noble are called. But God hath chosen or called the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the uh, the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea. And things which are not to bring to naught or bring to nothing things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But. Of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. And so God takes these weak, the feeble, and he calls them and he gives them. These things. Righteousness. Sanctification. Redemption. And. Wisdom. Where is all this wisdom. Needful. Why is it needful. And what does it apply to. And where we're going to go with it. Turn with me to Hebrews. Chapter six. See this wisdom. This. This knowledge this and it's more than just knowledge it's the understanding it's the perception that which we see with the eye that enables us to comprehend the things of god that's why when a person reads a passage as well two people can read a passage of scripture one will look at it and they'll just see the words and say well there yep There's the facts. There's exactly what it says. And then the next person who has a heart and a mind for God, whom God has called with a calling, will read that same passage and he will comprehend. He will see things in that passage or that verse that simply isn't accessible to someone else. Well, here in this passage, in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 4, he's talking about these who he is urging to go on to Christian maturity. He is talking to those who, and writing to those who have received the Lord Jesus Christ. They've acknowledged him as the Messiah. They understand the gospel. And in verse 4, regarding moving on past these elemental things of verses 1 and 2. He says, It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Or it's actually the age to come. The powers of the age to come. They've tasted it. They have been enlightened regarding that. In other words, it follows along with another common expression that we we use. We say, well, he saw the light. You know, we're trying to explain something to somebody. It could be a math problem. could be grammar. could be some other kind of a mechanical concept or whatever. And all of a sudden, you see in their little eyes i got it. Well, that's something along the order of what he's talking about right here. Those in rec- who have in receiving the gospel have experienced because their minds have been enlightened and they have experienced the powers, they've seen the things of the age to come. Now, I'm not saying by for one second that we fully comprehend it, anybody like that, or that we completely understand all that's to come. But these people, he's telling us here, have experienced something about the age to come. And, of course, in this warning here, he's saying, you turn away from that. You, once you've understood, and you comprehend a knowledge regarding that which is to come in the age after this one with the Messiah and his coming rule, then it's impossible, he says, to renew that one to repentance. And so it becomes something then that once we are enlightened, once we have experienced or tasted the powers Of the age to come. It should be something then that we grab it. And embrace it. And never let it go. Never let it stray. From our hearts. But of course. In human experience. We know that's. That's very likely impossible to happen. You may know somebody. That has happened to. And they've strayed away. And the constant. Constant warning over and over throughout the epistles, especially Paul, Peter, James. But even the Lord Jesus himself is the dangers surrounding straying away from the truth, losing sight of that which we had previously gained sight of. And so this wisdom that he's talking about, this wisdom of God, you see, has to do in the mind of God with his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, the scripture says, the manifold wisdom of God. God's wisdom has been revealed in him. And so in order to gain the mind of God and the wisdom of God, we need to be tuned in, as it were, Focused in on that which he has revealed to us regarding what's to come in the future age. Now, there are other words in the New Testament that are translated a couple, well, at least one of them, one time wisdom, and I'm not sure, I don't remember the other one, phronesis and sunasis. And they're simply different relationships of the mind. And how we comprehend and see things. Now Sophia, we said, had to do with those things related to the future. The mind of God as he's revealed it to us regarding what's to come. Phronesis, which we get this word, you've probably come across this word phrenology. If you took psychology, basic psychology in college, then you... You to come across this word—it's—it's it's the study of the bumps on the head, phrenology, because they thought that they could find out exactly how your mind tick by checking out these little bumps, you know, on your head. You know, everybody's skull's not—not not the same. We're not all polished smooth. Some of us got some bumps. Well, that kind of knowledge is the knowledge of being able to discern things around us in this present world. It's knowledge about how to function in life and make good decisions. It's knowledge about how to assess a certain situation and come to a the right conclusion about it. Sophia has to do with the knowledge of assessing what God has said about a thing and accepting it as truth, as the right thing. These Hebrew believers here, in Hebrews chapter 6, had done that very thing. They had seen that and then were wanting to turn away from it. Revelation chapter five, and you, we don't want to turn there. I'm just going to read this verse real quick. Revelation 5:12, a verse you're familiar with, says, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing." Of all these things that the Lord Jesus have ascribed to him, one of these is this wisdom. Now, the Bible tells us about several men who had wisdom. And we could name them, and I won't take the time to turn to every one of these, but in Matthew, Jesus made reference to the wisdom of Solomon. We know that Solomon was considered to be, well, at least in his day, the wisest man who had ever lived. He had tremendous insight. Into those things that we're talking about. Doesn't mean he followed through with them as we all know. But he had the insight into them. Joseph was said to be a man of wisdom. Moses. Moses it says was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. He had a a wise understanding knowledge about the ways of the Egyptians. In Acts chapter 6, verse 3, it tells us that all of the first deacons were filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And, of course, we see, we we look at the message that Stephen preached, and we see the manifestation of wisdom from him. And that wisdom had to do with his knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures and how he was able to present God's view, God's plan, as it were, revealed in the Old Testament to his own people. And he revealed to them all that God had done through the nation of Israel. And, of course, did they receive that wisdom? No, they rejected it. And Scripture says they ran upon Stephen with one accord, stoned him, took his life, because they could not take, they could not receive the message that he was proclaiming to them. Now, we could say the same thing about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ... Presented to us the word of the kingdom. He is the word himself. The word of God, the wisdom of God is bound up in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it is so important that we receive the message of Christ. The gospel of Christ. And it goes far beyond. Far beyond just being able to say well, I trusted Jesus when I was six years old and I became a Christian and praise God, I know I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. As if that were the end of all things. But you know a lot of people believe that. Preachers believe that. And you know how you, I know they believe it. I know a couple of them that have taken their own life, brought it to an end. Because, well, I'm a Christian. If I die, I'm just going to go to be with Jesus anyway. And there's so much more to the gospel than that. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me for a moment. Ephesians and Colossians have a lot to say about wisdom. And also 1 Corinthians, actually. And we're not going to be able to look at all these passages by any means. But in Ephesians 1, verse 17, Regarding us as Christians, you and I, notice what he says here. He says, regarding, and, and by the way, he's praying here, his prayer He says in verse 16, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now look at those three things. All of these tied together. The spirit of wisdom, revelation, in the knowledge of Him. The revelation of Of the knowledge of Christ. Receiving those things. Gives us then. The wisdom of God. And he's praying for Christians to have that. That the eyes of your understanding. Being enlightened. Just like those Hebrew believers. Look with me at Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. We're going to come back to Ephesians here in a minute. Colossians 1 9. There, Paul, writing to Colossae, he says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And so what I would submit to you here, that in Paul's prayer, you see, he's going beyond having a mere knowledge of the Bible, which multitudes of Christians do. He is appealing to us to go beyond that, that in the development of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, in our worship and walk with God the Father, that we would gain or develop or come into that knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding. What I'm trying to say is, is that as I was using that illustration earlier, when two people could read a passage of scripture or a verse, and one sees the mere words on the page, they gain the facts and knowledge of what the Bible says, but the other, in his knowledge and devotion And the enlightened insight that he has in Scripture has developed a relationship and a walk with the Lord that is something far more precious. And Paul's prayer to both the Ephesians and the Colossians was to be filled with a knowledge of this spiritual understanding, this knowledge of his will. He goes on to say, Ephesians one eight. He tells them there, wherein he hath abounded to, uh, toward us in all wisdom and prudence. There we go. Wisdom and prudence. Prudence is this word that's often translated other places, and most often, I think, understanding. It's this word phronesis. And it has to do with The whole idea of prudence. In other words, as we said earlier, the ability to assess a situation and make the prudent choice or decision in a particular matter. Paul, his desire was that we might abound in all wisdom and prudence. And then I want us to look back over again to Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5. Colossians 4, 5. He appeals to us regarding this same wisdom. He says, walk in wisdom to them that are without. The outsiders, in other words. Redeeming the time. There is a way, in other words, in which we are to associate or relate to those that are outside. And all of this then is to tell us that There is a particular way in which a Christian, one who has received this gospel message that was so widely proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his apostles and other disciples and those who have followed on through the centuries, we are to conduct ourselves because it's different than the rest of the world. Now, um, he tells us in Romans 16 we we're to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. Now, all that is to simply say we don't have to go out and experience everything that the world experiences, experiences to understand that it's not good for me, that it's not something that would be pleasing to God. I'm be wise concerning the things that are good and cling to those. I'm not going to take the time to look up some other scriptures, but the Bible talks, well, James in particular, talks about an earthly wisdom. You know, there are some very wise people in the world. They are very wise concerning the ways of, of life on this earth. They're wise in the ways of society. They're wise in the ways of structuring a government, of ruling a people, of building things, or a multitude of other things that we can think of regarding life on this earth. And, of course, that has a strong appeal to us. But James says... The wisdom that comes from above is the one that should be appealing to us. We are to be filled with that wisdom from above. Matter of fact, I wasn't going to turn to James, but I think I should. The reason being is because in James chapter 1 and verse 5, there's a great, great verse there regarding this wisdom. And it all ties in It all ties in with this gospel that Jesus proclaimed to his disciples regarding his kingdom and regarding the, what's the expression there? Um, The losing of one's life in order that he might save his soul. And the bearing of our cross, as he tells us in Matthew 16. And it's just this. He says in verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But notice what the whole context of this promise is. The promise is, is that... Those believers who are in the midst of trial and testing, those who are carrying their cross, those who are seeking to lose their life now in order that they might save their soul, have this privilege, this promise of calling upon God for wisdom in such a time. That is, when we're going through the midst of that trial. When our faith is being tested, then we can call upon God for his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. Give us insight, Lord, to see how I can make it through this trial with my faith intact, stronger than ever. And the goal of this faith then, the goal of our faith, the purpose of this wisdom is so that a mature man, we could, we could arrive at this goal of a mature man, maturity in Christ, so that we might overcome the flesh, that we might be able to resist and flee from the devil, And so that we can stand strong in a world that's tugging away at us. Trying to pull us away into its system. And draw us away into another kind of wisdom. And of course, what does wisdom do? The scripture says wisdom, if we aren't careful, can puff up, can it? Wisdom can puff us up. especially worldly wisdom because it causes us to stand out in the crowd but this wisdom that comes from God this wisdom that is heavenly it is spiritual in nature and it is insight into those things that God reveals to the weak the beggarly and the babes now I don't know about you but I've I've often wished, wished and wished that I had more brains, <laughs> that I'd have gone on to school and I'd have got a doctor's degree and been some chemist or you know engineer or some big thing. and then i <laughs> then I come back, I just say, get your feet back on the earth here, because there's no better place to be than a babe to whom God has revealed the full riches. Of his son. And I would rather be that babe. Than the greatest sophist on this earth. The greatest ruler that ever lived. Or the greatest general or whoever else we can think of. That has made their way in life. Made a name for themselves in history. Gotten their name in a history book. And even that we find is so fleeting. (laughs) Because the history books that we read when we were kids, a lot of those names are gone, aren't they? And they've got new ones in there today. It just proves to be nothing. And so I want to urge us, since I was not able to be here last week, we begin this new year, is to seek that kind of knowledge and wisdom and stay faithful and true to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, again, now this opportunity to worship together. We thank you for the soundness of your word and the knowledge that you've given us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, help us to realize all the fullness of of God that has been revealed in him, to know him, to live for him, to walk with him, to believe his promises. Grant it to us this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.